Pastor Mike Favares with Focal Point Ministries. I trust that the following recorded sermon will be a benefit and a challenge to your Christian walk. For more information about Focal Point Ministries, log on to our website at focalpointministries.org, focalpointministries.org, or call us toll-free at 888-320-5885. Well, I'm sure, as you know, we have a ministry at our church that is called the Third Nine. Third Nine Ministries. Pastor PJ oversees that. It's a great ministry. And the name is referring to the third set of nine years of a person's life. That season of life they enter into when they cross that threshold of being 18 years old. Of course, uh, if you look in scripture, you can see that the first set of nine years of a life, we can certainly know that the process of parenting involves a lot of correction, as the Bible speaks of. Correction. And we can say a lot of your first nine years is characterized by parental correction. The next nine years, I think, certainly can be argued that it is characterized by parental and coaches and teachers directing lives. Correction and direction, primary roles of parenting, certainly what children need at the beginning of their lives. But then there is that third nine, that new phase, that season of maturation where they reach a level in their lives where, as we tried to make the point when we started the ministry, calling it the third nine, this will be the season that you could characterize by, at least it is our hope and our dream, of maximum productivity, of commencing with a kind of productivity where we are seeing things happen in ways that we would never expect, certainly from the first nine or the second nine years of life. Uh, Certainly is when people uh, take their education to a a new level, they start uh, getting jobs and careers, settling into careers, they find a husband or a wife, they start having children, they commence with productivity in a way they never did before. It's not that children don't have anything uh, productive and coming out of their lives, of course they do, but this is a different level of productivity. The maturing process and development of human beings is not completely unlike the development of a church. It's not. There are some similarities. In my life, in the past 30 years, 40, 32 years, I've worked for three different churches. And uh, my first job as a staff leader, a pastor in that church, was to work with the college students at a church that was 100 years old. Uh, It was on a walker, kind of getting around as a 100-year-old church. And then the next church I worked at, it was a 50-year-old church, became the pastor of that church, and uh, certainly know some of the things that were challenges as you relate to a 50-year-old church. And, And the third church, my favorite church, is this church, and I was able to see this church and have that experience from its infancy, just kind of growing from this embryonic stage under a sycamore tree, not having a building or a budget or a staff, just starting this church and having it uh, grow into a level of maturity. Certainly a lot of correction and direction along the way from the Lord. But I'm here to say, not saying that uh, human years and church years perfectly coincide. They don't coincide with dog years either, but maybe somewhere between dog and human years. You have a level of maturation in a church where I can tell you this, And I can say this having a front row seat, perhaps knowing the church better than anyone in this room, that I think we are at a place where we are about to commence with a kind of productivity that we've never seen before. Of course, our our church has been fruitful. A lot of good things have been happening here. God has done good things in the past. But I believe with all of my heart, we're entering into a season of maximum productivity, a kind of productivity that will make everything that's come before it pale by comparison. 
I believe that, not just because I think we're old enough to be in that stage of life as a church. I believe that because of some sovereignly, providentially provided opportunities. Now, our purpose hasn't changed. Day one, we knew what our purpose was. We understood that we were here to make disciples. We understood the component parts of that. We preach about it often. It's plastered on our website. We're here to reach people for Christ. We're here to teach people to be like Christ and to train people to serve Christ. Those are the component participial sections of the Great Commission. Make disciples, reaching, teaching, training. We can pull all that under those umbrellas and say that is what we're here for. We understand our high view of Scripture, the inerrancy of, of, of the Bible. We recognize what it is to be faithful in preaching that. We at least theoretically know that is always going to be our commitment. We also see that a high view of God and all that goes with that in terms of our doctrinal statement is going to be anchored and cemented in a place where we're saying we are resolved to live confessionally by this doctrinal statement. Added to that, we put these eight commitments together, these virtues, these values, these uh, principles, distinctives, we often call them, where we said, Compass Bible Church is going to be governed by these things. That has not changed at all. Nothing has changed except for, I would say, the magnitude, scope, and reach of the kind of effect that this church can have in all these areas, particularly in making disciples, in reaching, teaching, and training. Of course, you know, if you have any connection on social media, I've been kind of hyping up the fact that for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about something very significant. And we are. And I would say this, do everything you can to be here for the next three weeks. This is going to be, I think, a historic time for us to try and do our best to take a look at what we think God is doing and will do in our future. As a matter of fact, Compass 2020 is our way of talking about something that begins today right now in our church, and will continue on through the year 2020. And it won't be the end of it when we reach 2020. It will be that the end of this particular season of our church will be a retooling, a reorganization, a recalibration of our church with some new and exciting opportunities that will set us up for many decades to come. Of course, we're all praying for the return of Christ. Maranatha, we want him to come back, but Christ would have us as good stewards and as wise planners to look to the future. Assuming Christ is not coming back for a hundred years, which is how we ought to think and plan, we want to be ready and positioned and poised to make the kind of difference in our world that desperately needs strong churches with our eight distinctives, with a doctrinal statement that is unabashed and, and unapologetic about our view of Scripture and God. And to say that we've got a lot of things that we can do and should do and ought to do, and the providence of God has led us to a threshold with many opportunities in reaching, teaching, and training that we've never seen before. To do that, we're going to have to sharpen our focus on what matters most. And to start that today, I want to talk just about the concept of reaching. And this is not another sermon about personal evangelism, though those are very important. And it's good for us to revisit those because we really can't be corporately what we're not individually. But I'm not here to preach on your need to preach the gospel to your neighbor, though I desperately want you to do that. I'm here to talk about as a church, as an organization, what are we doing and how are we going to do it? And what kind of impact or reverberating impact can we have in decades to come, assuming the Lord's not going to come back first? What kind of impact can we have as it relates to reaching people for Christ? To help us sharpen our focus on this, I'm going to look at Romans chapter 10 with you this morning. It is a passage that's familiar to you, I hope. And though I know on your worksheet I've got verses 13 through 15, I've added here verse 12 as a bit of an introduction, which I put as the first point. Nevertheless, if you've got your Bibles, you're going to need that for verse 12. At a minimum, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Follow along as I read it for you. 
where it says in verse number 12, and if you glance through the context, you know what we're talking about, Paul's heart's desire and prayer for people in his, his group, his, his nationality, his, his ethnic background to be saved, the Israelites. He's concerned about them. He wants them, as verse 9 says, to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. But he says, we need to realize this is not just for the Jewish people. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No discrimination. There's no distinction. He's saving Jews, Greeks, barbarians, Scythians, slave, free. He's saving Romans. He's saving Americans in this case. But here's the question, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So they can't call and be saved unless they've put their trust in Christ. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? Well, they're not going to believe in him or call on him if they haven't heard about him. And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? Verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent And then he quotes Isaiah and he says this, how beautiful, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He says, it is so critical, it's my heart's desire, verse 1, and my prayer that people are saved. And his thought, he's thinking originally about those of his kinsmen, the Jewish people. And then he says, but here's the thing, as a Jewish would-be Pharisee at one point in his life, convert to Christ, is now an apostle to the Gentiles, writing a book to the Romans of all people, these Latin folks. He now says... Listen, I got to tell you, this is a a message for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. We've got to think beyond our borders to go beyond our borders, which of course is the commission of Christ in Acts chapter 1 from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And he says, we got to get that message out. And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring that message. This is what it's all about. They got to be sent. They got to preach. They got to hear it. They got to believe it. They got to call on the Lord. The mission of Compass Bible Church, of course, is tied up in the Great Commission to make disciples. To make disciples, we have to reach them, culminating in baptism, which is not their salvation. It is the external expression of their salvation, water baptism, that is. And it is something that we we see as our mission, our goal. And while often we preach about the individual responsibility to share the faith, I want to step back and say, Compass Bible Church, 100 years from now, how is it going to make its mark on doing that? That is something that I think you know can best be summarized, at least corporately, by how we're going about the eighth distinctive of our church, and that is to always be working to plant new churches. Now, when you get a brand new church that has nothing, we didn't have a copy machine, we were going to Kinko's or whatever to get our bulletins run off, we we had no way we could plant a church. Not to mention, understanding what a church that has our doctrine and our values, what it looks like, we had to call in people, have many years of training, and finally get our first domestic church planner and say, it's time for us to plan a church. And so we've done that. And this morning, they're meeting right now as we're meeting, and they're, they're, they're pulling over 1,000 people. I think the last time I checked, I don't know, there were 1,100, 1,200 people reaching them for Christ in a place up the 405, and that is the heritage of our church, being able to say, listen, we're reaching people, we're multiplying ministry. Then we went up to Tustin, and we said, we've got a place up there within reasonable driving distance, really, but it's an area that is harder to reach in some ways, unless you're in the community. Let's go up there and plant a church. We did that. I think last I checked, they're running about 400 people. 
If you think about the numbers there and you think, okay, what's happening is we're adding new Compass Bible churches that share our high view of God, high view of Scripture, all of our distinctives and doctrinal statement. Let's replicate that expository preaching, unabashed, selfless servants, people that are ready to stand on the Word of God if the whole culture turns against us. Those are the kinds of lampstands we said at the end of this. If this is actually happening, churches being planted by this church at great personal sacrifice to ourselves because we lose some of our our most enthusiastic leaders. We lose some very gifted staff members. We lose a lot of money in the process that we don't say, hey, this is a loan, pay it back. We say, no, as a matter of fact, we're going to pay it forward because we want you to go out and always be working to plant new churches. And this church has selflessly worked at that mission corporately by the mere act of saying we're committed to planting churches that are committed to planting churches which are committed to planting churches you run that clock forward a hundred years and if we don't stop with that commitment you're going to see an amazing impact that we have that all started under a sycamore tree with a bunch of people saying we need a church that's committed to these things uncompromising on the truth that's going to be not just about our backyard our zip code our church our church campus our church facility our preacher our ministries we want to see it multiplied Number one in your outline, we need to remember our selfless mission. Jot that down, and I want you to underline the word selfless. And I know for many of us, we groan when we think about our church planning in the sense that we go, oh, yeah, I know that's a good thing, but we give up so much. And you're right. There's turnover in leadership in various ministries. There are people that we love ministering to and with and alongside of and having people minister to us and they're leaving. There's always this trepidation for the Adipat people in our church that say, yes, Mike always talks about us, as the scripture says, being ready any place, any time for anything. And here's the problem. I'm always feeling that discomfort when we're thinking about, should I go? Should I stay? I don't know what to do. I got to be ready to It's It's an uncomfortable church to be in with a lot of sacrifice along the way. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you how unique it is because I know you know other people in other churches. Maybe your cousin across the country says, oh yeah, we plant churches too. Can I tell you this? That though there are reporting, if you ask people in churches, 25% of the churches in our country, if you were to take the 350,000 evangelical churches in our country and ask them, are you planting churches? 25% of them will say, yes, we're planting churches. Can I tell you this? Only 2% of all the churches in this country are actually the mother church that is sending the church as the primary supporting sponsor of that daughter church. 25% said, yeah, we're doing what you're doing there at Compass Bible Church, and I'm not trying to blow our own horn or say, aren't we great? I'm just saying, I, my hat is off to this church for selflessly engaging in the mission because we are doing what only 2% of the churches in our country are doing, and that is saying we are being a church that is planting a church and saying we are the primary responsibility of seeing this church off. We are the primary sponsor. As a matter of fact, let me put this asterisk next to it. Out of the 350,000 evangelical churches in our country, at least self-reporting churches that say we believe in the gospel and the Bible, 2% are planning churches. Think about that now. And of that 2% that are actually planting churches, only 7% of that 2% are sending their pastors out and not tasking them with being fundraisers for their own project. Did you follow that? Only 7% of the churches in this country, of the 2% of the churches in this country, 
are saying, listen, I don't want you to worry about fundraising, writing fundraising letters, worrying about how you're going to raise money for a soundboard or, or getting the lease at the school or figuring out what you're going to do about speakers or a microphone or a podium. None of that. We're saying we're going to pay the bills for you. We want you to worry about ministry. And this church has selflessly, financially sacrificed to start these churches. And our, our guys are going out as ministers and they're doing this in a way where they're not having to worry about raising funds because we're saying, let us take care of that. And they're being a tremendous success. It has been an amazing thing. And you may say, well, that is unique, I suppose. It is unique. It's very altruistic in some ways that we're just saying, here, let's set you up. We're setting people up for a kind of, I think, ministerial success because we're not trying to have them be something other than what we want them to be in the future. And that is committed about the souls of people in that community. But Mike, there, but there are other people doing this. A lot of church plants. I drive down the street. I see signs on the way to church. And here's a church plant. There's a church plant. There is a lot of church planning, I suppose, going on. And a lot of these guys are fundraisers. And some of them don't even have mother churches. They're just starting churches. But I can tell you this. I think by and large, if you look around at what's going on in terms of church planting, I don't know that you would think these are the churches you want planted. And I certainly don't think these are the churches that your pastor wants to see planted. And I would even go so far as to say, I don't think these are the churches that Christ wants to be planted, at least some of them. And I was sent this news article, which I sadly confess that I actually read as, as awful as this was, a church plant in the news this week. This pastor said, my goal is to have a church in a full-time working brewery. Before you get excited, oh, I want to go to that church. The point of it is, I really want to do church on the side in a in a brewery, I want to make sure everyone gets their favorite, you know, alcoholic beverage as we have church together. Well, you know, come here, here he is on the alcohol kicking. No, no, forget, I'm, not, I'm not about, I'll keep reading. Here's what they're all about. It says, we are, just want to let you know, not just me as the pastor, this, our church, we're all about, we are pro-LGBTQ, we are pro-feminist, we are pro-environmentalist, we are pacifist, and we preach the message of Christ, which I'm thinking maybe you can swallow some of that going, oh, I don't know, I can see, I, I, listen. Here's how it ends. Here's the message of Christ. That Jesus was a person of color that was killed by white supremacists. I'm just thinking, if you get to that place of understanding scripture in those terms, I'm saying, I don't think that's the kind of church plant you want to say, yeah, I'm excited about funding those churches and seeing them planted. We need people that have sound doctrine, that have solid ministries, that have powerful expository preaching that are filled with selfless servants that are all about being committed to Christ and not bending to the culture and being all about people's eternal souls. I think you're concerned about that like I am. And all I'm telling you is, and my hat's off to you because it couldn't happen without all of us pulling together. We are a church that is planting churches, not the 25% that say they are. We're the 2% that is, and of that 2%, we're of the 7% that is saying we are out there setting them up in a place where we're saying we're going to launch you, we're going to pay your bills until you get on your feet And God has, by his grace, had these churches within a record time start paying for themselves. And we don't say, well, pay us back. We get them on their feet, and God has those congregations taking care of themselves. You want sound doctrine, solid ministries. You want powerful expository preaching. You want selfless servants. We've got another church, of course, which you've heard a lot about. If you were here this week or even tuned in on the website, we'd have 24 hours of prayer, which we have every time that we launch a new church. We pray for 24 hours straight where we're dealing with the issues of this church. The latest one, as you know, unless you're visiting, you don't know, but you should know 
Boise, Idaho is the next church plant. It starts in the beginning of January of next year. All the Bible studies, all the planning, all the prep, all the securing of leases and all that is going to start right now. A lot of preparatory work has been done, but today we are launching officially. We're laying hands on and authorizing our very next church plan. And in the middle of this sermon, I want to celebrate that with you by bringing up the new senior pastor of Compass Bible Church, Boise. Come on up, Pastor Ben. Boise, Idaho, I know you've given many times the rationale for all of that, but give me just a couple stats on the Treasure Valley and Boise and why Boise. Well, even it's nice when you make a decision and then there's confirmation after. So right after we decided, article comes out saying Idaho is the fastest growing state in the country, according to the Census Bureau. Forbes then comes out with their fastest growing cities list. Boise was number one. So where's their growth and then where's their need, opportunity? I started calling people I knew up there. You know, I'm like, I think they go to a solid church. So I want to find out. And, you know, they say things like, we need 25 more solid churches up here. Even other church planters saying, we need more. Yeah. So we just felt like there's growth. That creates a need. And even the people there on the ground are confirming this is the place God's sending us. And I know because I've been up there with you. And we've looked around a lot. And I know there are some church planters and some things going on. And, and we're all for it. We cheer them on. You're going to be meeting with those pastors. But i got to tell you, this is the Cadillac of church plants that are roll, that's rolling into town, right? You realize yes. that. And as I talk to those other church planters, I say thank you, Lord, for yeah. Pastor Mike and yeah. Compass Bible yeah. Church and how we get to go about it. Well, we're church. excited about that. Now, we know in every church plant there are a couple of key leaders— and staff members, yes. which you have zero ability to pay for right now, yes. that these folks are paying for, Thank right? You. And what we're doing is we're making sure that we, we have you pick just the right kinds of people. And there's always someone in a church, particularly a church plant, that kind of is the glue that holds so many things together. And she's the one in the office that just is the, 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 the jack of all trades. And so you've chosen that person. And who is that? And bring her up right yes, now. Yes, I'd you? like to introduce you to the administrative assistant of this new Compass Bible Church, Kendra Howard. Mm-hmm. There's not a successful church plan in all of the world that doesn't have a Kendra Howard somewhere in the equation. We have to have that. Are you ready for this? You think so? Well, it won't take long till you know you weren't, because this is a big task. But by God's grace, you will succeed. We are pulling for you, we are praying for you, and we know this is going to be a uh, wonderful adventure for you and your family. But most importantly, you're going to look back on this 10 years from now. And you're going to see how from these embryonic stages, everything that you did, the harriedness, the craziness, the nuts of you doing a million different things in this church has resulted in something that is beautiful to God, a church plant. We're excited for you. When do you leave to go to Boise? Today, right after the 11th. Whoa, today. That's right. So this is it. You've packed up? Yep, we packed up. And yours is the yellow truck in the, lot, in the parking lot? Yeah, sorry about the parking. Yep. <laughs> took up six or seven spaces there, didn't you? Yeah. At least. Look at how sacrificial our church is for that. (laughs) Yes, that's right. I'm glad you parked it way over there, though, in the corner. That's awesome. Now, you're going there. There's a lot to do between now and the launch of the church, and you're ready to be that kind of crazy person that's going to have to do it all. And my hat's off to you. My prayers are with you. Our church is going to be praying for you, and we're so glad you're part of this. Now, 
When you start a church, it's great if you can start with the Cadillac plan and have a guy on staff next to you that's going to be able to minister with you. You've chosen that person. I know many people know the Howards, Brett and Kendra, but uh, they don't know this guy. Introduce this unknown guy to us. Yes, so I want to introduce you to our youth ministry director, uh, Keegan McQuaid. Yes, come on out, Keegan. Doesn't he just look like a church planner, right? All he needs is a coffee in his hand right now, and he's, he's there. That's awesome. Here's the thing. I know you introduce him as the student ministries guy, but I know in a church plant, been through it several times watching this happen up close, you're going to be doing a million things in this church. So our prayers are going to be with you. We know there's a lot to, to do. This dynamic duo here, this trio of, of lives that's going to be focused 24-7 on this church, uh, we know it's going to be a challenge for you. But we're praying for you. But we want to know just a little bit about you. So why don't you tell us uh, where you're from, your background, and, and all that kind of stuff real quick. Yes, I'm from a smaller town in Ohio called Mansfield. Look at that. Hey, the other family that lives in Mansfield is here. That's awesome. How little is it? Uh, it's pretty, pretty small. I mean, Do they count people there? And they try. Yeah. How many? <laughs> what? Are, you don't know how many? Probably about 50,000. 50,000. Yeah. Oh, that's not too small. Yeah. yeah. But um, so you'll get a chance to meet my wife, Brooke, after service if you want. We just got married the 4th of July. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, that's what most new brides want to do. Let's move and, and go start a church with nothing. That, that you, hats off to your wife. That is an amazing, sacrificial thing to do. And you're dragging her into it. Yes, you. Yes, good. Well, we are excited, and we want to make sure that all of you meet them out on the patio. Uh, as I always stand out here, shake hands after the service. They'll be just beyond me there. Please get to know the McQuates, newly married, thrown into the deep end in a church plant. I'd love for you right now, if you would, take out your phone, take a picture of these right here, because this is the core group. These are the three lives that are going to be working 24 hours a day, seven days a week to make this happen. Take a picture of them, pray for them. I don't know, put it somehow so it comes up on your to-doist or make it your, your wallpaper or something for a couple weeks at least, and make sure that you are praying for these three lives, because so much of the pressure, so much of the spiritual attack, so much of the logistics of this church is going to have to filter through through these three minds to make this church happen. And of course, Ben at the front of all this has got a lot of pressure on him and he's got plenty of, uh, of, of, of years here of ministry. We're grateful for him. But right now, we'll dismiss you two. We will now give you a chance to see what we think is the most important and significant part of a church plant. And that is this church officially represented by your pastors in this church, officially authorize him appoint him, the old words, to ordain him, if you will, knowing his life, his doctrine, his ministry to this work. So I'm going to call the pastors out and we'll call the Blakey family up. That's always an important uh, picture. As long as you got your camera out, once we get this situated, be a good thing for you to be praying for. And we want to lay hands on them. That picture of laying hands on them is a sense of responsibility it's a sense of a, uh, it's a picture symbolically of a transfer of the sense that we believe this is an authorized church. You can't just start a church in your back bedroom and, and call it a church. The Bible says in First Timothy 4.14, it's leaders and pastors that, that authorize and present to a new church and actually birth a new church by authorizing other pastors to lead those churches. So we are going to officially do that now as we do every time we plant a church with prayer. And we want you to pray along with us. I hope this is the beginning of your praying for this family. 
uh, having been married to the pastor's wife for a long time and raising the pastor's kids in this church, that is a pressure position. So much of it comes here spiritually, the pressure of the church. As Paul said, the, the, the daily pressure of the church is upon those that are leading the church. And, and, and the, the, the most acute pressure is right here. So be praying for them. Church plants have so many challenges. We want to help them and support them and hold them up in prayer. So let's pray now, pastors. God, we thank you for this day. So many ways. This is a historic day for our church. God, we've been on this stage before with Pastor Bobby and Pastor Elliot, and here we are again with Pastor Ben. God, we thank you for your good hand being on this church, and we ask, God, that you would do the same for the people in Treasure Valley and the Boise area. God, we recognize that you, the God of heaven, the God of earth, need to move and stir the hearts of the people that are in this valley. And God, we pray that before us, you would do just that, that you would, uh, you would soften the hearts of the people in Boise and Meridian and Eagle and Nampa, Caldwell, all through that valley. And Lord, for this family that is here, the team that is going, God, we pray for their protection. We ask, God, that you would protect them spiritually, that they would hold fast to the inerrancy of Scripture, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ being the only way for salvation. And Lord, that, uh, that there would be true repentance and true faith that would come, that this church would be a light in a dark community, a lampstand. And Lord, we ask that you would, uh, you would help Pastor Ben and his wife, Holly. You would keep their marriage strong. And Lord, their team would be excited. And we have many that are up there already, God. We pray for those that are there already, that are expectantly waiting uh, for the opening of this church. We pray for the many that are here that still need to locate jobs and find homes. God, we pray that your grace would cover that and cover the things that we haven't even thought of. God, there is a measure of excitement today, but none of this works without you. We declare our dependence and our desperation upon you, and we ask, God, that your good hand would be on this church. God, we come before you, and we are so thankful that you are a God that is faithful to accomplish your purpose. God, that you have been faithful, and we have seen that here, and at least with Diego, and how you have used this church to, to reach many people, to see people get saved and sanctified, and we thank you for Pastor Ben and the way that you have used him here to invest in the lives of people, to, to preach the word, to invest in leaders, to see people grow up in their salvation. God, we want to see you continue to use him in Boise and Treasure Valley. God, I do prepare hearts, you prepare people that would need to hear the gospel, people that need to hear the message of salvation, to respond to that. God, we want to see many, many people saved, and we want to see those that are saved to be plugged into a good Bible-teaching church where they would grow, and they would be sanctified, and they would be used to make more disciples. That's why we pray for him. We ask that you grant him wisdom. You would uh, allow him to lead effectively this core team, that they would be united and be a cohesive team that would work for the same purpose, the same objective, to honor you, to bring much glory uh, to Christ, and to Build up the bride of Christ. God, we pray that you would uh, go before them with all the logistics that need to happen, a place to meet, where to meet, the location, the timing, that you would grant uh, your favor in the eyes of those who have the decisions to uh, lease buildings to us, to buy buildings, uh, that we would all those things would be, be taken care of. God, we pray for just the, the traveling that uh, 
when it happened with Pastor Ben and uh, the Howards and uh, just driving up there, that you keep uh, them safe, that that would uh, go smoothly. God, we pray that even the, the prep time from now until the launch of the church, that the team would come together and, and be like-minded, that there'd be much prayer that goes on as they uh, continue to canvas the neighborhoods to let people know about a good Bible-teaching church that is going to be God, we expect you to do great things because you are a great God that is working for your glory. So please uh, build this church up that allows you to be a, a light stand that would shine out bright in this community. That it would be not only a, a church that would, would grow, but be a church that would plant more churches to reach more people for you. God, we trust that you are the one that's at work and you will accomplish great things. Uh, we are so thankful for everything that Pastor Ben and his family have meant to us as a church family, as a church body. And we do, we are going to feel the, the pain as they leave, but we rejoice at the same time knowing that they go to do a good work. And so we pray that your hands will be upon them as they go, and that they will be safe on the road and, and arrive safely in Boise, Lord, and that they will be excited for what lies ahead in a few months before the, the church starts. Lord, I pray that you give them open doors to have great conversations, that they will be able to build relationships with neighbors and with other people that they meet in the community as they spread the news of what this new church is going to be and, and what is going to be happening and what they're going to be all about. Lord, I pray that as the, the pressures of this year they mount, that you continue to make this and keep this a strong marriage and that that would be a, a testimony and that Pastor Ben would be would free up to be able to go and to serve the church well. Lord, I pray that as he goes and opens up the word of God in the community, that it would be something that draws people to him and draws people to the church, hungry to hear from you, to hear from your word, to hear it accurately handled and exposited. Lord, we pray for the ministry that is going to be taking place through uh, the others on his team, that it would be also just effective in, in reaching the lost in this area and in this community. Lord, we pray that Boise would be different in such an amazing way because this church is going to be there. Lord, that's our heart, that's our desire, and that the surrounding area will be impacted for Christ through the ministry that's going to take place through Pastor Ben and through his team as they go. Lord, we are uh, sorrowful to let them go, but rejoicing to know that you are going to do great things for your name and for your glory. And we ask that in his name. God, we do hereby now confer upon Ben this role as the senior pastor of Compass Bible Church at the Treasure Valley, based on the authority of Scripture and even the offices conferred on us by other pastors. We know this is a really a, a critical spiritual turning point in his life. It's the beginning of a brand new chapter of increased leadership, of responsibility, of even spiritual attack, as I've said. And I know, God, they need your grace desperately, your favor to be upon them, your protection. God, we pray for good things to come from this church plant. We pray for it to be the kind of church plant that you take great pleasure in, that it would be the kind of place where the gospel is clearly heard, where people are built up in the faith, where sanctification takes place in a way that is uh, unlike others, that it would stand out, that it would be an outstanding church. So we commit them to your care. We're excited about what we're going to hear about the fruit in this church in the months and years ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys. Ben will leave. He's already packed up his house. He moves uh, he, out. He's moving. He's gone this afternoon. 
So, and also Keegan, of course, who's flown out here from Ohio, he will be leaving tomorrow morning. The Howards leave this afternoon. All three of them, at least as a part of our church, that relationship, as painful as it is, is coming to an end, at least as we've known it. And all three of those families will be out there just beyond me in the patio of the church. I'd love for you to stop and spend some time. Commit to them that you're going to pray Give them a sense of your love. Thank them for their ministry here. And let us see this happen over and over again. Because it would be a good thing for us to plant more churches. That's a good thing to plant more churches. It's a great thing to plant churches that plant other churches. That's the key. You Trekkies might remember that old episode of Star Trek. I only read about it. (laughs) Called The Trouble with Tribbles. Oh, a couple of you know that and you're actually not embarrassed to tell me that you know that? Trouble with Tribbles, which was bad cinematography, by the way. But nevertheless, these little fuzzy creatures, they befriended on the Enterprise, and which is nothing more than little stuffed animals, but they tried to make them seem alive on that old episode. They began to multiply, I mean, faster than, than bunnies. I mean, they were just going nuts and crazy to where they overran the, uh, the, the Enterprise. And so, you know, you had Spock and Bones trying to solve the problem there. And Bones finally diagnoses the problem. He says, you know, the problem with these tribbles, here's the problem. He says, they're born pregnant. <laughs> I mean, we can't even have them be born, keep them apart. They're born pregnant. As soon as they're born, they're having, having babies. And, and I thought to myself, what a wonderful expression of what I hope for Compass Bible Church plants, that they are born pregnant. In the next season of our church, we want to see more churches plant planted and that will be good but it's time you know it's time certainly in Huntington Beach they are ready it's time for us to be spiritual grandparents and I hope that in the years to come you're going to see that happening more and more and more just as we are going to continue to plant new churches Huntington Beach is now working to plant new churches they're going to have the same exact experience that we just had commissioning brand new pastors for new churches I want you to think about that Tustin will be doing the same Boise will be doing the same, multiplying churches in the Treasure Valley and beyond. That, you run the clock forward on that 25 years. See what that looks like 50 years down the road. And what you're going to be able to say from heaven's perspective is, you know what, I was a part of that. We are the mother church, the grandmother church, the great-great-grandmother church of churches that were facing their generation with an absolute confidence in the authority and sufficiency of the Word of God. I would ask you to just step back in a godly sense, and say, this is a satisfying and good thing. And I want to make a commitment to you as the senior pastor of this church. We are committed to continuing this. And let me show you why. Go back to Romans chapter 10, verse number 13. Because of that one word at the end of the sentence, we believe this is all about salvation. Number two on your outline, let us jot this down. Know why we will plant churches. Number one, because, letter A, eternity is at stake. Saved. Think about that. That is, from a human perspective, the pivotal point that determines whether or not a million years from now you're in a place of blessing and honor and favor and grace from God in Christ or whether or not you're lost in outer darkness. That is the truth. We're not going to deviate from what Christ said. He preached more about the realities of heaven and hell than anything else. This is crazy. Critically important that we take note to the fact that eternity is at stake. Why do we need more churches that preach the gospel? Because eternity is at stake. We're doing eternal work here. The gospel has eternal ramifications. And as I often say, you will not look back on this life and wish that you had spent less time, effort, money, resources on evangelistic endeavors. You're going to go, ah, I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time on that. You're going to say, this is the most important thing we could have ever done with our lives. 
and you're a part of a church, again, we could be talking about personal evangelism. That's not what this message is about. But we're talking about corporate evangelism, and we're doing that together through church planting. Look at the next verse. Verse number 14, he gives us this daisy chain, this chain of things that says, listen, how are they going to call on him in whom they have not believed? So we want them saved. To be saved, they've got to call on the Lord. To call on the Lord, they have to say, I trust him. So I'm calling on him. Well, how are they going to believe in him if they've never heard about him? How are they going to hear unless someone preaches? Now, I know you could say Christ and the message of Christianity, it's ubiquitous. Have you ever really done any evangelism and talked to non-Christians? How often have you, in your faithfulness to share the gospel, have people said to you, I've never heard it that way? I've never understood this thing called repentance. I didn't even know about this. This is something that in America as a post-Christian culture, and I think that's not an overstatement at this point. And there are other countries, you understand, sending missionaries now to America, not because they don't have a form of godliness. Oh, certainly we have churches, but we do not have the gospel clearly articulated. And you understand that is their only hope. Their only hope is people preaching the biblical gospel. It's one of our distinctives. Letter B, you need to recognize that, that when it comes down to it, Christ is their only hope. As one of our pastors prayed just a moment ago, the exclusivity of salvation, there's no other name given among men. There's nothing that we can do other than trusting in Christ. If you are drowning, you need oxygen. Options won't matter. I mean, Kool-Aid won't help. Having an iced tea, not going to fix the problem. You need oxygen. And if you're a sinner, you need Christ. That's the only solution we have. Buddhism won't do it. Islam won't do it. I mean, the cults have twisted the gospel so far we can't even recognize the biblical gospel there. We need clear, unyielding, sound doctrine churches filled with evangelists that are willing to spread that message. Christ is our only hope, and it's their only hope. God is not granting forgiveness through any other means. Look at verse 15, at least the first part of it. And this is where we're at this morning. How are they going to do all this? How are we going to put preachers in pulpits with evangelistic churches unless they are sent? Every church planter that's in the majority of church planters, which is 93%, are going to say, we got to get somehow, we got to, we got to fund this. And they're out there fundraising. And we're saying, no, we're going to send them. And I have already praised you for this. This is a unique thing that we do here. But I got to tell you, that's what we've got to do more of. It is our hope and our plan. In this Compass 2020 model, when we look at where we're headed, we want to ramp up our church planting. In our immaturity, we were able to plant some churches. We didn't have a lot of resources. We didn't have people that had gone through the ranks. We had to develop that kind of bench to build these churches, put trained and gifted leaders in in place. But our commitment right now, in the next eight years, we want to not only put together a church planting association, a Compass church planting network, But what we want to see, at least from our own congregation, is at least two brand new churches locally planted here within reasonable driving distance, and then three churches that are planted out of the area. And I can tell you this as the pastor, we have people, it's not an exaggeration, at least every three weeks telling us, would you come to our town and plant a compass? Can you come to our city and plant a compass? And you know what we say right now? No, we can't. And I'm going to say throughout this next three weeks, all of the things that we're going to talk about this week, next week, and the third week are all interrelated, interdependent. We can't do one without the other. While this is the most eternally significant when it comes to the issue of us reaching people for Christ, we have to recognize that what we need to do is to put together a whole structure that's going to allow us to step this up. Five new churches in eight years, that's ambitious for us. If you think we've had three churches in the first 13 years, is that ambitious? That's pretty ambitious. 
But by God's grace, we can do it. And what does that cost? Well, it's going to cost a good bit of money. If you really look at what it's going to take, it takes about, if we were going to plant five churches, two in the area, two, three out of the area, I think just the operating and, and the kind of cost involved, at least $2 million to make that happen. If we're going to help them actually secure property, that may cost us another $2 million to really get them situated in buildings and places that they need to be in. And that's just really meager. That's helping and assisting those churches. Well, that's going to cost us a lot, and you're already having us really lose our, our friends and our leaders, and now our Thrive guy's gone, we've got to replace them. Listen, here's the unconventional thinking when it comes to church planting, what we're doing. But the people that have dared to do what the 7% of the 2% have actually done, here's the stats. I looked up a lot of stats this week. Are you ready? When it comes to churches that have actually planted churches on their own dime, after sending that church within the next five years, numerically, after they lose these core groups, in our case, we lose about 150 people for every church plant that we do. And sometimes, as you know, they're the most motivated entrepreneurial people we have in our church. On average, churches like ours that do this grew numerically in terms of attendance by 22% in that five-year period. In other words, they replaced all those people and oftentimes more than that added to their church. When it comes to money, people that are laying out the money to make this happen, those churches in the next five years after organically planting a church and paying for it, financially their giving rose by 48%. See, it's just interesting how God, this is the way it works. You want to be generous to God's work, God is generous to you. You can't refresh God more than he's going to refresh you in response. And I'm not Joel Olstein. You understand what I'm saying right now. It's not about you getting your boat in the harbor. This is about us being worried about kingdom priorities and financing those. As a matter of fact, notice how intoxicating this is for churches that plant churches. Sending churches in a five-year period after they plant a church organically and pay for it, on average, will increase their spending and their budget on church planting, outreach, and even missions up to 77%. That's the average. They say, this is great. And all I'm telling you is this. We've spent a lot of money planting three churches, but I think we're going to see ourselves saying, this is a great work. This isn't a good work. This is a great work. And it is a great work. Look at verse 15. As a matter of fact, the bottom of the verse, that quotation from Isaiah Oh, I never gave you the third point, did I? Someone's got to do this, is what I, what I wanted to say. Someone's got to do this. It must be done. People need to go. People need to send. People need to prep them. Someone's got to do it, number three, or letter C. Letter D, it's great work. It's beautiful work. It's beautiful work. This image from antiquity that I think we don't understand because we don't have the, the world that they had, the messenger world. In our day, if we had a big battle going on in some place that was pivotal for America, let's just say some huge war broke out on the you know, northern border or whatever, and we didn't know whether America was winning or Canada was winning. <laughs> but let's just imagine, <laughs> let's, just ima- let's just imagine for a minute that we didn't know, and maybe it was the end of America as we know it, and we're all going to have to be Canadians and maple syrup and all that. We're going to here, we're going to go into this new world, and we want to know what the news is. Well, we just flip on our phones. We got the internet, we got news, we got, you know, telephone, we got everything we need to know the news. In the old days, they didn't have that. Darius the Persian in the 5th century BC was continuing the quest to expand his, his grip on the ancient world. And the Greeks said, no, you're not going to do that. At least we're going to try to fight you. And so the Greeks did the best they could to try and prevent the Persians from conquering their civilization. And there was a pivotal battle in a city not far from Athens. And everyone wanted to know in the major city of Athens, the capital of the Greek empire, hey, what happened? What's happening? Who won? Well, Darius was defeated. 
And a messenger had to come from this pivotal city and this pivotal battle and to get back to Athens and tell the people whether they won or lost, whether they can toss their hats, so to speak, in the air, or whether they should get ready for impending doom on their culture. And we needed a messenger to run. And at least as the story goes, that pivotal battle was in Marathon, which is 26 miles from Athens. And the messenger had to run all the way there. And as the story goes, once he came and proclaimed the good news, he fell over and died. And the response to that was, you know what? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. He drove his feet to the place of exhaustion so he could tell us that we won. That's the picture. And I'll tell you what, it will be a sacrifice. We're going to lose more of our staff. We're going to have to replace our staff. We're going to spend more money on this. And all of this is going to be something that from a heavenly perspective, they're going to say, this is beautiful work. I want you to start seeing it as beautiful work. This is great work. This is beautiful work. If we, as I said about Pastor Ben, are going to spend and be expended for the souls of people, this is good work to be tired in. I quoted something on my Twitter page this week about Oswald Sanders' quote. He says, fatigue is the price of leadership. Nothing's going to get done without expending ourselves for this. And like that runner, that marathon, quote-unquote, runner who came in and for his life brought that good news to various places. We need to get excited, not about bringing news 26 miles away. How about this? 700 miles away, we're planning a church in the Treasure Valley, which is one of many I hope to do, five in the next eight years at least. That's like Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum. If you take a map, draw the line, it's about the same distance from here, Aliso, to Boise. You've got people in Ephesus who've got to be so thankful that the people that heard the commission to take the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth were obedient to that, and they sent Timothy, and Timothy became the pastor of Ephesus. How glad do you think those people in Ephesus were, whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that there was a solid, doctrinally sound church where a pastor was committed to taking what he learned from Paul, entrusting it to others, who were able to entrust it in other people, and Ephesus became a critical church in the early part on that western region of Asia Minor to take the gospel to all kinds of places. And I'm thinking it all came back to a church in Jerusalem that said we need to take this work seriously. It is good work. It's beautiful work. God speaks of those sacrificial selfless feet. In our case, our funds, our wallets, our time, our sacrifice, our tearful goodbyes of people we love. And he sees it as a beautiful gift, a sacrifice to him. Now that's the end of our passage. But let me add two more subpoints if I can. One from the book of Acts. When you think about church planning and why Compass Bible Church is committed to continuing to plant churches, I want to tell you this, number five or letter E, it is biblical work. The book of Acts should prove this to you. As a matter of fact, as one commentator said, and it's a good way to put it, he said, Bible teachers often refer to Paul's travels as his missionary journeys. We may rather prefer to call them Paul's church planting journeys because that's what he did. Church planning is what the book of Acts is all about. As a matter of fact, the great commission that we so often quote and we say that the pinnacle of the first stage of that participle to reach people for Christ is all about baptizing them. Baptism is something that is done, clearly taught, as an initiatory right into a community. I want you to think about this now. This is not just going out, sharing the gospel on a street corner and saying, now you're saved, go home and enjoy. It's you being incorporated into a body of believers. That only happens if we're going around planting churches. See, it's not about us sending a crusade, you know, in the old sense of a Billy Graham or, or Greg Laurie crusade. I'm not against that necessarily. I'm just saying we're not blowing into town, putting up a, uh, banners and, and preaching from a, from a platform. We're setting up a church, you see. 
And I can share the stats, and I've done extensive at least reading on the process of these evangelistic campaigns. Their retention rate is incredibly low. You know what's high? When churches get into a community and share the gospel. It is biblical work. It's what the book of Acts is all about. It's presupposed in the Great Commission to baptize them into a body of believers. And let me just end, if I might have you indulge me in some, in some statistics, number six or letter F, there's no better method. This method works. This method works. If we're talking about evangelism, it's been so often quoted. It's quoted and requoted because most people in their experience have proven this to be true. Let me quote it for you. No church planner out there doesn't know this quote. Here it comes. The single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting new churches. There's just nothing better. And here's some stats. Let me show you why. If our church started to grow, a church that's now 13 years old, here's the stats for a church our age, that 85% of the people that come to our church will have come from other churches. That's the average. 85% of people that come to churches like ours, established churches, healthy churches, they come from other places. Oh, I want to go to that. I'm going to try that church. I like that church better than my church. Church plants. Church plants. When Ben and the crew roll into the Treasure Valley... They put up shop, they do the outreach, they do all that they can. Here's the stats. 70% of those people will come from no other church. They come off the streets. They come from, hey, I I don't go to church. I haven't been at church. I maybe went to Sunday school as a kid. I'm not transferring in from some other place. That's an amazing statistic. How about when they grow? Church plants can't survive unless they grow numerically. Existing churches usually numerically plateau after 15 years of existence. They don't grow anymore. 35-year-old churches, that's the norm if you track these things. 35-year-old churches that don't plant other churches usually are in increasing decline. Here's the thing. The thing that saves a church from being in decline as a 35-year-old church is planting churches. I've been reading, rereading a biography uh, of the church that I said I started in, which was a 100-year-old church. And I can tell you, watching the history of that church and refreshing my mind on reading its history today, even early this morning, is all about the fact that it kept its vibrancy because it kept planting churches. It planted churches all over the valley it was in. And that kind of commitment is a kind of commitment that changes the vitality of a church. But church plants, of course, they can only survive if they grow. How about making new disciples, making new Christians? Existing churches, healthy churches across the country, it's reported that for every 100 people in one year, follow this stat now, 100 people, could be 1,000 people in the church, but of every 100 people, they will have 3.4 people converted to Christ that will bring that conversion all the way to the place of expressing it in a baptismal tank and saying, yes, I'm a new Christian. 3.4 a year. So a church of 1,000 is going to have 34 converts. Church plants. Here's just the dynamic of a church plant. Church plant for every 100 in one given year, 11.7 people will be one to Christ and commit themselves to Christ. On average, the statistics say. In the next eight years... I think it's time for Compass Bible Church to go into a new stage of maximum productivity, commencing with a kind of productivity we've never had. And I can tell you this, the next two weeks will be very different. It will be a kitchen table discussion, because while this is the jewel of what we do, seeing people reached for Christ, there are some elements that relate to that, the superstructure that holds that in place. 
And I'm telling you this, God has opened some doors providentially. And so come next week with a mindset of, okay, we're going to pull up the kitchen table. We're going to have a family discussion and we're going to talk about the opportunities that God's laid before us. And all I can tell you is they're very big, really big. And I think it will be, and it will take us until 2020, by God's grace, it will take us till 2020 to finish all of this. And when it happens, when it's done, it's not done. It's just the beginning of the next phase of real change in this culture for Christ through something called Compass Bible Church. To have this happen, of course, we can do everything right. If God doesn't choose to make this happen, it's not going to happen. We pray that, our pastors prayed that as we can commission pastor ben but let me end with just a reminder of jesus's prayer in matthew chapter 9 he uses a great greek word i often articulate that when i quote this passage because it's such a vivid word it's the word ekbalo balo we get the word ball from that to throw to cast out ek is the word out right to cast out to throw out to thrust forth the passage is, of course, as Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He says, would you pray to the Lord of the harvest? Would you pray? Because why? The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray. It's the strongest word in Greek for prayer. It's beseech, beg God that he might ekbalo. He would thrust out into the, the harvest field more laborers. This church is doing that, and I'm proud of you for doing that. What we want to do is to be able to put things in place where we can have a constant stream of gifted, qualified, well-educated church planters. And God has opened some doors for us to do that in a way that's unprecedented that I think after you and I are dead, if the Lord does not come back, you're going to see the effects of what this generation and this church did. We got serious about in this little period of time that we've called Compass 2020. We approach 2020, and it's going to be a pivotal period of time for us. I ask you to be in prayer, and please don't miss next week. Don't miss the following week. These are historic things in our church, and I want you to be a part of it. Let's pray. God, I know for some, perhaps, I don't know, I don't want to think about the critic, but there's some that go, oh, here we go. I pray for them in particular. You might have in our church a sense of unity around the mission of having our church make a difference in this world for Christ, not for our fame, not for our recognition, not for any of that, but just for the sake of doing what you've called us to do. As Moody said of his granddaughter, we want to be great in the kingdom of God, and that's an ambition that is hailed in Scripture as good. We want to do something that makes a difference. We want our lives to count. God, we know there's nothing really we could do that would be a better investment of our lives than to be a part of something that is making a difference for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So get us ready for that, God. Get us excited. I pray that there would be a time of real forging of our heart and our vision together as we step toward the year 2020. God, go before us. Set the table for us. Let this happen in a way that is just beautiful and gracious. And may many people be saved as we Walk out onto the patio and embrace those uh, key servants that are going to lead at uh, Boise. I pray that there would be a sense of excitement and celebration. It's a historic day for our church. And I pray, God, you'd be pleased with all that happens and all that comes from it. In Jesus' name, amen.